As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Miami Nice. I'm one half of your undercover partnership, Blake Howard. With me as always, rocking our 2005 Miami Vice crew hat and also back from a bonanza of a 40th birthday is one katie walsh yes i'm like here but not here i'm very much still in sunny crockett mode uh i I went and got lost in the islands did you get full dirt bag please tell us later in the show thank you so much um for being here but like february 16 2018 so nearly like almost around the same time that katie and i not only met but then did the special den of thieves bonus episode of one heat minute that forged our friendship i spoke the to fires another, <laughs> I, I spoke to another miami vice obsessive and it was actually part of the reason why i sought him out to be part of one Heat minute because i kept seeing fire michael man tweets miami vice knowledge and because he's been busy writing comic books, writing television shows and doing all of those things, it took us a long time to come back together. But this is the kind of guy who knows the Vincent Hanneken wield an FNC NATO assault rifle better than a chicken drumstick. It is the awesome Brian Hill. Brian, thank you so much for coming back and being a part of Miami Nice when you rediscovered that we had gone down right into your wheelhouse of Michael Mann obsession. You were like, how haven't I been on this show, Blake? What is going on? And I'm here to say the welcome mat was always rolled out for you. Like it was just a matter of time and now you're here. Well, see, I had to be worthy, you see, (laughs) because this is... This, this appearance is the peak of my my Hollywood career. It will be downhill. <laughs> I know that. I know that. So you just you know, it's it, sometimes you just got to stand by the window and look at the coastline and wait for the rack focus to bring you back into the scene. Well, we we had to you know get our skills up to par too. We had to build our our repertoire so wait. you would we would be worthy of you. We knew this was going to be the fire one. We were gonna it was going to get really really heated. So, man, thank you so much um, for coming back. I know folks who had listened to One Heat Minute loved our episode. I got lots of great feedback then at the time. And then as people progressively go along, people talk about episodes they really loved. If you're not familiar, the 114th minute of um, 
Michael Mann's heat is in fact the the moment that Vince and Hannah like goes into that deep deep focus and takes out Michael Torito, Tom Sizemore's character. And so it was a it's an epic moment. It's at the crescendo. It's after already you know kind of six minutes of utter chaos, and we got to talk about everything at the time. But you are like the ultimate Miami nice uh, Miami Vice rather 2006 fan. You've been like ride or die all the time people can go to your twitter profile right now and you've got the banner of the boys in the car together so let's just get started because um you know i know there's a sort of big thesis of everything that we wanted to talk about but can you tell the people about why you love this movie yeah so miami vice uh the 2006 film was a formative experience for me creatively and it, it kind of, I, I watched it, you know, I saw it theatrically and I loved it from the beginning. I was, I wasn't one of those people that like saw it and then like warmed up to it after the think pieces and the little white lies of it all and the rest of it. Like I saw it and I fell in love with it. And I think it was because I've always been dichotomous with my creative imagination. You know, part of me has always been a high concept genre person you know kind of raised on that stuff like a vhs video blockbuster kid that kind of thing but then the other part of me has always been interested in uh, uh italian neorealism uh you know in french new wave right and so when i saw Miami vice i saw that as the intersection of both of those things working at peak principle yes you know and i didn't even know that was possible because i thought i had to be bifurcating in terms of how I told stories. I'm a genre was, guy or I'm an ethereal ph- philosophical guy. I can never, f- never the twain shall meet. Right, right. And so, and, you know, and this was years ago when I was still kind of gathering my voice, but you know that that time in your life when you're trying to figure out what your lane is going to be, you know you have to have a lane, right? You know you have to specialize at some point. And then I saw that movie and I was like, oh no, I need to specialize in this yeah. Mm. Right. I need to specialize in the hybridity of, of these things um, because it was it kind of unlocked. Like sometimes you experience literature or a piece of music or a film play and it opens up doors. You know, it's sort of like you you it, it wraps you up in a chrysalis yes. while you're experiencing it. And then when it's over, you know, you, you pop out and you're a butterfly. Yeah. You know. And that's how I felt walking out of that that theater on Astor Place in in New York. That's where I was at the time, right? And from then on out, I lived in a state of dissonance with the world because no one else seemed to understand what I understood, <laughs> right? Like, I, you, you know, like when you watch something, you're like, well, clearly that's brilliant. And then you want to yeah. get together and talk to your your friends about how brilliant it was. And you're like, no, that sucked. And you're like, oh, you, oh, oh, you're you're all wrong. <laughs> oh no i have to re-examine all of my creative relationships because everybody is wrong right no see um, i like that reaction where you're like no i'm right and you're wrong yeah, that, that... sometimes i'm like am i being gaslit like i you know it's nice to, <laughs> it's nice to be like no i i'm standing strong in my assertion of how good this is yeah that's a great place to be even a... though you're alone on the island it's a great absolutely place to be. katie like you know <laughs> like it's 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 when you have that connection with something and it just clicks and it just makes yeah. real sense to you, you know? And when I hear people uh, uh, talk about how, well, you know, I like the movie a lot, but the problem I had was, you know, I grew up on the show and the show was a certain way. And then I saw the movie and the movie wasn't that way. I'm like, what show are you watching? 
<laughs> because yeah. the series is all about Pyrrhic victories. Yeah. Right? The the series is about futility. Mm -hmm. It's about the progressive decline of, of hope. It's about the gray area becoming black. Like, you know, maybe people got blinded by pastels and 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 sonically blinded by Phil Collins or something, but like <laughs> the the show is dour a lot. And yeah, there are spikes of humor, but you know, even as a little kid, when I couldn't understand anything that was happening, you know, I I, I understood it emotionally. That this was different. Yeah. The end the end of this didn't feel like the end of other things I watched, right? It 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 left you with 85% of what you wanted, but there was always that missing 15% unresolved. And it, and we're not in serialized television. So the next week, they didn't like pick it up. Like that was it. Yeah. Like the thing with Sheena Easton didn't work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it. Next episode, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> right? And so that was my experience with the show. So when I saw the movie, I was like, this is exactly what I thought I was going to get when I saw the original trailer, you know, because I was yeah. vibing even on the trailer. I remember, so you're about to, now we're about to go into how wild I am. I remember when the website was up, because I was hyped. Oh, yeah. I was hyped, you know, because I saw, because Heat, you know, changed everything uh, okay. uh, about it. Like I saw Heat and then I was like, okay, I'm different now and whatever. Everyone has to deal with how different I am now. Um, <laughs> and uh, I remember when the website came up, and uh, and there was that that there was because you know RZA originally yeah was it's a RZA tune usually right. now people are starting to hear it subliminally in our episodes because I just start rocking it out there we're like when we're vibing I just start like fading in the RZA website theme because it's real I would rock it like okay yeah. this is how wild I was I would put it on and just let it play while I was like writing, right? So I'd be writing and it'd just be like dum 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 I'm like, this is it, right? And then when I couldn't I saw I saw the movie, you know, Michael Mann's soundtracks are always weird. Like you, you know, like this one's especially weird. Yeah, like they don't happen on time. And then when they do happen, it's like only on like a a 78 somewhere, and you gotta get a special record player to play it. And and then the songs that are on the soundtrack, they're not the ones that are in the movie, and then you gotta go to the other place to get the to get the edit. It's wild. It's wild. You're like, I need the RZA. I need the RZA. Well, it's it's like it's like an um um uh, a Manhunter, right? Like the version of Heartbeat that plays at the end of Manhunter is not the version that is one on the Manhunter soundtrack, <laughs> two on the Red Seven release. It's got like extra bass chords, and it's slightly faster. And it's it's so you know you're always like chasing it. So the unicorn of it's because I couldn't find the RZA music. Um, <laughs> I opened up GarageBand and I just recreated it. Yeah. Like, oh, you I recreated just, like, it. it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just, I'll, I'll email it to you. Like, I literally, like, oh. recreated it in Garage. I listened to it because I play piano and I produce music. Oh, okay. So I, I listened to it and I was like, well, I gotta, I gotta rock this out so I can have this loop, you know? And I'm like, I, I thought you were just, like, streaming it from the website. That's what I thought. I'm like, oh my no, God, he recreated no, 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 it. No, 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 no. That's amazing. No, I can went I just, in there and just reproduced it. Can I just say, before we get back to that, I want to shout out uh, someone on Twitter. I don't know who it is. I think her name might be Al. And her Twitter handle is at employed GF. And she put a video up, which has now had like 6,000 views or 20,000 like, uh, like uh, impressions. And it's just 
it's just a snippet of 20 seconds and <laughs> from Miami Vice. And it says me and the crew looking for the guy who said that Michael Mann didn't have the balls to fade from Jay-Z's Lincoln Park banger Numb Encore into a club remix of Nina Simone's Cinnamon. <laughs> and I watched that clip like 13 times yesterday. Wait, I, did you retweet it? Yes, I did. Okay, I, I haven't so seen I'm, it yet. I'm going to uh, literally right now live, I'm going to tag you both so you can watch it because <laughs> I'm just like, it's so... Please do. It's so exactly the the kind of brand of all the three people that are on this call it is oh, so yes. it's like please do i mean so funny but you're so right it's like there's this wonderful incongruity in his soundtracks where you're like what is going on <laughs> and even um uh jason fitzroy jeffers is a great uh, uh filmmaker from the miami area caribbean area um said i never thought i would see such a banger sex scene scored to Indy Ari in a Michael Mann movie. And that was like <laughs> yes. very recent. And I was like, actually, yeah, that's such a fire <laughs> music choice, such a weird thing, but you know, bless his heart. We love it. B banger sex scene with improv. Like, yes. Who is improving sex? I mean, come on. You talk about, you talk about elevated experience. <laughs> Right? Like we're in the land of elevated experience, right? Like, like it's, you know, uh, uh, I, cause there was some, I saw that movie like four times that week and I was broke. I could not afford to do it. I, I like didn't eat a day so I could get tickets <sighs> to Miami Vice. Amazing. Because, because I'm like, wait a minute, did that movie even have a first act? I don't <laughs> No, it doesn't. <laughs> did he like shoot it? And then just like, oh, I'm going to cut out the first act. Cause I, you know, we don't really need it. We're just going to move in there. You know, I met with Chuck Adamson. Uh, <laughs> way back in the day and he just said listen like you know just forget the first 40 pages of whatever you read you don't need it i was like maybe that's what he did i don't know maybe that's what i needed i was like taking my screenplays and like chopping off the first 20 pages like it's gonna start there yeah you know maybe it was at the yeah. club scene yeah, yeah it's just an amazing thing so yeah so that's what really started it was was that you know and and it 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 helped me watch things differently study things differently so now i didn't feel like well, on this side, I'm watching, you know, my action thrillers, my sci-fi stuff, because I knew that would be my bread and butter. That's how I make my mm -hmm. living. I pay my rent because I write action movies and sci-fi movies and, you know, television and comic books, right? Uh, and I was like, but I also like this stuff. Like, I also have a real room in my heart for Breathless, mm -hmm. a real room in my yeah. heart for all of this. But I was like, ah, I don't know what I don't know what that is. Like that that's New York independent cinema. I don't know how those things get financed. You know, I kind of know what Hollywood is all about. I don't know what that. But then I was like, oh, okay, I can work this stuff in. Like, in, and then and then directorially, which is a deep ambition for me and uh, cross my fingers, I'll be getting behind uh, the camera on an action thriller this year. Oh. Um, uh, yes, yes. You know, and, and hopefully it'll be one of those movies, uh, Katie, that you watch and you're like, it didn't really come together totally, but this guy has something. Like, <laughs> I heard you say that before, and I was like, and that's what I want. That's the only <laughs> review that I'll care about is, does Katie think it didn't really come together, but the guy has something? I'm like, then that's a, that's a win, right? Um, and so directorially, it opened things up for me as well, because it does things with camera that you're just not supposed to do. You know, yeah. the the way uh, compositionally it focuses on things and doesn't focus on other things. It kept me out of um, like a stock way to approach visualizing scene, you know, and yeah. 
uh, applying like almost like a near, not, not documentary because everything is, is definitely in, incredibly constructed, but the idea that you could be precise in your blocking, precise in your production design, precise in your direction of actors, but still allow the camera to emotionally, subjectively kind of go where it wants to go, right? Like little, little things like... As soon as you say that, I think of the first, I think of the glare from Fox's tubs after right. Neptune's guys as they leave the club. And he's like yes. hero shot. He's in the frame, even though the camera's doing a, sh- uh, a technique that Pete Berg has since ripped off in every movie that he's made <laughs> since the time of Miami Vice, which is just this kind of like floating, floating frame, kind of imperceptible movement. And he's there, the club's bouncing. And then a phone call happens. And then you're, you're like in the tight sinewy shoulders of Colin Farrell's uh, Sonny, as he like bursts out the door and goes onto the roof to like Katie's favorite shot in the movie of him against the purple sky. Like then, he, then he's the hero of the movie. Like and you're like, wait, did a baton just get past? Like, I don't know what just happened. Like the, they become equals on that. It's just so wonderful. Oh, yeah. And that's, and, yeah, and that's in like that first reel of the thing where yeah. it, it, it reminds me of the time I took a homie of mine to go see the Lawrence Fishburne Othello. And I'll explain why I'm bringing this up <laughs> because I'm a big Shakespeare fan. Um, yeah. I, I love Shakespeare. I think everything you need to learn about writing fiction, you can learn from studying any Shakespeare, right? Just like, you know, pick one, read it ad nauseum, see it performed, and you'll learn everything you need to learn about how to write, you know, uh, dramatic works. But I remember taking a friend to it and I could see that it, like the language was really bothering him. Uh, and I leaned over and I told him, don't worry about it. Just keep watching it and your brain will figure it out. And yes. a, yeah. about 20 minutes in, he was like, yo, bro, I, I get it. My advice is the same way. They are speaking yes. in, in testosterone haiku, <laughs> right? Like you are not going to immediately understand what is happening, you know? Right. And it and it's 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 the kind of the kind of dialogue interactions that you get on like an atavistic level, you know, just like this time will come. Like what? What does that even mean? <laughs> and how do you know? You may never see this guy. He might have gotten away with it, bro. But like you under like it's it's like it, it, it okay, you know, and like you know like a eleven forty seven o'clock and all the rest of it, right? Um, and, you know, and so like it kind of washes over you, and you're like, I don't really. Oh, 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 wait a minute. Now I'm starting to get it. Now I'm starting to I mean, understand it, it what me. it is. Right. It's so, not a. Yeah, it's about the energy. It's about the vibes, which we keep talking about. But it's like, yeah, and they're using so much jargon and like um, acronyms and stuff, and like ta- they're shooting off all these names about these gangs and stuff yeah, right away. Massive and you're just like, Woods, yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> bad guy. I know. Right? He's talking like, about bad guys. Like, I, I think. Like, I we think that whole you, you just lean to your friend and you whisper like, I think that whole chunk was bad guys. I think that yeah. that's what they were talking <laughs> about. Bad. Well, and it's, and, and it's great because you can tell, you can tell like who was there for the whole show and who came in to do their days because the people that came in to do their days look pretty confused. Yeah. <laughs> right? Are you talking about Kiaren Hines? No. He just has no idea what's happening. He doesn't know why his hair looks like that. He doesn't know why he has a Japanese last name. He is just in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Like trying to keep up with it. You know, know what? You know what? Staring at Colin, like by, I'm by, trying to figure this out. By scene three, when he's like, when you got to, you know, you, you know, your work makes you lie with dogs. 
by then you're like, Kieran Hines, you're a fucking gangster because you like came in and the first eight scenes you shot, you had no idea what this was. And you're like, you know what? Now I'm going to get, going to start feeling myself. Oh, cause, and then cause, cause Blake, it's meta. Yeah. See, the, the script is a meta commentary on the movie itself. Like, yeah. and, and I know, I know, I know I'm like, I'm going way out here, but like God. when he's like, yo, I get it. Undercover, you know, undercover guys, you know, you gotta, you gotta lie with dogs, right? He's he's really saying, "Oh, I get why this makes no sense because in a Michael Mann movie, you just gotta go with it, right?" Like that's what he's really saying. He's like, <laughs> "Yeah, I get it. This is a Michael right. Mann movie, and I'm delivering exposition, and it's not gonna make sense. And I'm gonna walk away into the clouds or something when the scene is over, right?" <laughs> and it's it's it, it just it it taught me continues to teach me like, listen, you don't have to cross every T and dot every I. Yes, it's okay if it's okay if a messy take gets in if it gets there. Like another example, clearly. John Hawks is improving on that highway. Oh, hard. Right? You can you can tell from the pacing, like I gotta go, I, I, I gotta go, right? Like he's like in the moment. Fox, being a natural comedian, is locking in with him. Colin has no idea what's happening. <laughs> but it's great because because that means that Tubbs and right. Alonzo that are like they're, they're, they're connected. To each they're right other. there. Right and there. Rocket is not getting it. And he's not getting it, right? Yeah. I mean, Wenda's going through that mullet and he just doesn't know what's <laughs> happening. And, and you know, and then it's like, you, you don't got to go home, man. You know, and like all that, like it's all there. It, it, it reminded me of the moment in Heat, um, uh, one of my favorite moments of actors having no idea what's happening uh, is it's when uh, uh, Hannah and his crew are on the rooftop and they're looking at uh, Macaulay and everybody coming out of the restaurant. And it's pretty clear that when Pacino was delivering, it's like a convention, wine, right? Like with with like the super pregnant part, whatever the score, these guys, you know, and all that, right? Yeah. If you look at everybody, especially Ted Levine, they don't know what this moment is. No. Right? Amazing. Like they may That's have the... read it on the page, but like it's clear they're just like nodding and like, <laughs> I guess he's gonna call cut when Al is done. <laughs> right and then al walks off and they're all kind of standing there still a little confused and then it ends and you're just like oh you could keep that take in there you yeah. know yeah. It, it totally works it totally makes sense for you know? everyone everyone who wants to know one of my favorite parts of actually speaking to michael man about heat was telling me the pacino wild ones and i've literally this is in my vernacular pacino does six takes and gives michael man six fire options of exactly how he has interpreted Michael wants him to do it. And he looks to Michael and is like, we good. And Michael goes, yep, I got everything I need and I got choices. And he's like, got time for a couple wild ones. <laughs> and Michael's like, let's go baby. And then the rest of the guys have no fucking idea what he's going to do. <laughs> he <laughs> just does it. No and idea. I'm like, what a fucking gangster relationship those two had because but that's how you yeah go ahead. because they just i gave such an expert actor i'm giving you all the choices you need putting some color on some stuff i think i feel the tone of where we're at in the story so i'm gonna just i'm gonna dial in on that but then i'm gonna just i'm gonna see if i can break the artifice of this scene just with something and mm -hmm. Then he used the wild ones. And you know what? That's how you end up with great ass. Yes. Yeah. That's... And you can hear Hank Azaria go, Jesus Christ. 
<laughs> and it's yeah. like it works for the character who's yeah. like what the hell is this guy doing but it also works for Hank Azaria being like what the fuck is going on I mean look at look at Ashley Judd in the motel room she is terrified uh, yeah yeah <laughs> like like she is terrified of De Niro in that scene yeah. you can yeah. just tell like that is not a performance you know that is like oh my god he's going to beat the hell out of me in this scene cut what <laughs> was it good Cool. Like if I get sit down with Ashley Dunn, that'd be the first conversation. I'd be like, how scared were you in that motel room? You know, just to understand, because because it, it there's a there's a realness to it, right? It's a, it's what and and if you look at man's uh, all of his filmography, what I love about it is it's all barely controlled chaos. Yes, you know, um, and the the amount of like courage that it takes to do that on a large scale, like you'll get that in independent films, right? Like Sean Baker is a filmmaker I really love, right? And so you get the controlled, controlled chaos of a Sean Baker film, but you're also working at a much smaller budget. You know, you're also working in a way where it's like, well, it's okay, we can kind of do this. To have that approach when you're spending a gargantuan amount of money, right? But to still like live in that space, that takes a, a certain kind of thing. Like everyone doesn't have the ability to to do that without like kind of falling into terror really you know and um that's why i think it's kind of remarkable and and, and also i look Brian, at can Miami we pause there for a second because i think yeah. you just nailed something which got me is that in huge productions and katie is probably more aware of this as like an educator too and consuming so many films and helping friends who've made films with notes and things like that you are trying to limit always based on your budget the interventions or those organic things that are going to break with the budget of the schedule of that day you're like trying to stop the unknown things like that's all about these mitigating actions that you do to create it and what we've heard both of us in people that who've worked with michael mann and like doing this, even this show, he like has the film, has what he wants. And then every freaking location or every scenario, it's like, let's throw some heat on this. Let's go to Haiti to shoot this scene. Like it's mostly indoors, but no, I'll mm -hmm. get, we're going to Haiti so we can go outside and have this like weird thing. Let's go to Ciudad del Este where like, there's no way I'm going to have permits to just stop the tri-border currency of this like strange part of the world and even there's some great docos in black hat where he's like you just bombing around jakarta and he goes i want to shoot there and then in jakarta they go like it was like under a bridge where there was like a little market and stuff and like homeless people had been there and living there and things like that and little things and and then the government the council went and painted this spot because there was going to be a hollywood film there and he went no you can't paint it i want it because it looked trashy and had graffiti and so then right. he had his set designers do it it's like <laughs> he seems to have these like things where it's like how do i to to have him operating at his elevated experience it's it can't just be this static space it has to have life has to have energy and it's like these little things that he does all the time and it's yeah uh, and, and it's like to be operating at that level is like nuts I think I, I think part of why he's able to do that creatively, and I never met man personally, and I kind of don't want to, because uh, he's perfect right now, <laughs> and I just don't want to know. Like I don't want to yeah. see him blow his nose, you know. Like I, <laughs> you know, I just, you know, just want to kind of experience the thing. But I think part of it comes from 
that deep knowledge of what you're trying to attempt creatively because you iterate and he's this he's this king of iteration right like you know miami vice is one part smugglers blues one part robbery homicide division episode nine i think right yeah. it's basically the same plot you know it's sizemore going undercover falls in love with uh with an with an asian woman who's tied into the thing and the rest of it right and it's all very much in there you know and and you know we all know that edie was supposed to be an asian woman at the beginning of the thing and then it became amy brenneman right and you know and obviously everybody knows about la takedown and the rest of it or how he too is man revisiting manhunter in yeah. a really interesting way that i did not expect him to visit you know revisit you know and so it's this constant revisitation of whatever the inner story is i think opens up new possibilities and i i, I like to think that and this might even be subconscious on this part and this would be the one question i wanted to ask him because i'd love to get his response to it i think people think that his movies are about crime like you know uh crime thrillers character driven crime thrillers about you know that whole thing the same side cops and robbers were all the same right sure but i think on a subconscious level they're really about the difficulty of being an artist yes yeah. the difficulty about yeah. maintaining your individuality and your independence uh, maintain that vision and the price you pay for it and how the victories you get on that path may not be long sustained but they will be worthwhile right and so it's almost a trade-off you know like the it's like the old blade runner thing right twice as bright half as long you know yeah and it's the pursuit of those intensely authentic experiences that are elevated um that you know you cannot sustain and you know you may pay a price for them but the the price is worth it and so when i when i say my advice is anti-genre it's it's a brilliantly executed crime thriller that doesn't want to be a crime thriller yeah yeah, yeah. it's like you know? constantly trying to shed the crime thriller plot and it's right. like you you are drawn to Cuba to right. Isabella to like that is like pulling you away the whole time and then you're like oh shit I have to go back to like do the fucking loads <laughs> right. And, like... <laughs> right and it's it's the it's it's the way that the characters while they have pitch perfect technique uh they seem bored by what they have to do yeah you yeah. know it's the performance of it right and you can sort of feel that you know like when you know, when they're talking to Jose Euro, you know, and the Jack Jackson Pollock on the wall and the rest of it. Another filmmaker, and you and you, you guys have talked often about how if you just read this script, you'd be like, well, okay. Yeah. You know, might uh, be I'm scared, Brian, of how many filmmakers that I would see make an absolute meal of this. They would yeah, just, yeah. There'd, there'd be nothing in the margins. It would just no, be straight no. down the line and it would... Yeah, it would, be, it would it would be the surface execution of all the stuff, right? It would be a celebration of the moments that seem swaggy. Yes. You know, it would be all the same. And, and instead, when I'm watching the film, it's like, Tubbs has said this before. You know, it, you kind of feel it. Yes. Like, this is the routine. This yeah. is the act that you're doing, you know? And and it, it gives you that, that, that feeling that this, this work has little reward a lot of the time. Um, and I think that's maybe why lay people watch the movie and have a adverse reaction to it because it's not a celebration of, of what it is. It's not a catalog. You know, you don't watch Miami Vice and say, I want to be an undercover cop. It's no. not copaganda. No, not at all. Yeah. Not at all, you know. Um, but you are like, 
do I want to hit on a really attractive waitress and get a mojito? Yeah. <laughs> right. In, 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 in those <laughs> yeah, yeah, little moments, you're like, you're like it's hey, dirtbag so, propaganda. Uh, it sorry. is. <laughs> it is. Well, what, what, what I, what I think it is, is it is, it's a, a film that does propagandize pursuing elevated experiences. Like man always yeah. says, you know, yeah. and you, and it, it's, it does celebrate sort of doing the extra, crossing the boundary, doing the thing, and knowing it's not going to work out. You yeah. know, the you know this is a bad idea and it has no future, right? But you're you're still you're still kind of there, and you know, and I think, you bring it closer to you, because like this is right. a bad idea, it has no future, and then he get he gets Isabella, yeah, and he brings her between brings her his closer. legs, he brings her closer, like so. Right. Let's go, like it's a bad idea, it has no future. Yeah, That's and, and like pause. That doesn't mean we're not going to do it. We'll be right back after this quick break. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba da ba ba ba. It's yeah. it's. I think for at the at the time I saw it when when I was still kind of forming an idea of what I wanted to be and how much it was going to take to get me there, you know, I just sort of tapped into it emotionally. And I'll tell you, like even now that my career is relatively stable, you know, and I'm very you know grateful to do as well as I do, I often feel like an undercover cop. You yeah. know, I often feel like I got to go to this studio and just get fed jurisdiction to do what I need to do. <laughs> but I'm going to have to do a lot more than they're going to allow me to do in order to accomplish the goal. And I'm going to get no reward for doing all of that, but I get punished if I didn't get the job done. Right. Yes. And, and, you know, you're kind of in this mindset and you have these fleeting experiences with people creatively, you know, like, uh, you know, when you're working on a television series, for instance, it's like being in summer camp. You're all like there sequestered. You're getting to know each other, you know, sometimes there's interpersonal relations that happen, but it, it's all like, it's all super brief and fleeting. You, you know, you know, like when the sun comes up, mm, you know, one, somebody's going to be on a boat, somebody's going to be on an island, 
right? Right, right. <laughs> and, and, and you're and, like, and, no. Right. And you, and, you, <laughs> and you know that's how it ends when you start. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's the pact you make with the end credits of your life moments. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, 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 and old TV know. execs are like, I don't pay for a service. I pay for a result. They like, pay for a result. All... <laughs> they pay for a result. hundred percent. You know, 100%. like all of those, like all those moments, like, you know, Van Zandt is just an executive. That's all he is. Like, that's a studio executive. It's like, yeah, I know, uh, you know, I screwed you over on this thing, but it'll be yeah. fine and whatever, you know, and then, <laughs> and then they hang up the phone and tell, you know, Henry Rollins, that, you know, go kill that writer, you know? Um, <laughs> Oh my yeah. God! All you could lay on all of Michael Mann's experiences in Hollywood, like with all of these executives and assassins. Okay, oh, <laughs> I, I, I think it's and professionals. It's and direct artists. allegory. I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I yeah. know they're listening. One eight minute crew that's on our Patreon and Discord. You know what to do. That's all I'm saying. You know what to yeah. do. Find me who these people are. <laughs> It'll be on the show <laughs> because the archetypes are all there. You know, yeah. Like, like, like you're you have done some successful work you've gotten yourself out of the muck of hollywood you're living by the beach you just want to raise your family and then your agent shows up with a project yeah. and and your agent brought the pictures <laughs> I love you know? it. And you're like don't bring the pictures jack you know <laughs> but but you wrote the last three the last three you wrote <laughs> you know and you're just and and so that's how I always read all of it, right? Um, yeah, and it's, uh, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's that's 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 why, like you know, I kind of I kind of tapped into the film and 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 you know, like the the things that are given attention, you know, like mm. I know what it's like to be talking to people that have immense money, immense resources, and your eyes can't help but drift to the the Rolexes on their wrists or the Cartier watches on their wrists, yeah. right? And, and like that moment, you know, it, it's a, it's a moment of these people are on that other level. Like yeah. they have matching Cartier watches and, and it's almost like, it's like, a, it's like a moment in a book. It would be italicized. You get a paragraph. And for me, the paragraph is I'm into her, but he gave them both Cartier watches. Yeah. There's a billion reasons why this is never going to work. Why she's never going to look at me that way. You know, like like I'm getting the the and the this guy just shut of it. and this guy just shut down the cell service. He shut down the cell service. He shut down know? the cell service. This is the stuff they're gonna do in Baghdad. Right, his Rico, his tubs lining. You're like, oh, this this is already a bad idea. Even meeting this guy, and oh, I'm just happen to be totally into the girl. He's got a matching Cartier watch with. It's just like, is layer upon layer of bad layer ideas. Layer upon like, layer. You know, yeah. Like, well, but the impulse is like. There's something that's the momentum of life. The momentum of this experience is just go, must go, must go. doesn't matter. Ignore, ignore all of these huge factoids. And it's just, he doesn't, he's not blind to them. That's what's even more brilliant about my advice. Mm -hmm. He's not blind to the consequences. He's completely laser focused in. And Michael Mann takes great attention to detail to go, no, he knows. He knows well, it's a bad idea. The, the the beautiful thing to me about watching a film from a filmmaker that you know is detail obsessed is it gives you permission to read it. Yes. Yeah. Right? Because if you're watching a Inches film from a filmmaker, man. right, that they're not yeah. detail obsessed, you're like, I don't know if that meant anything. I don't know. I don't even, I don't even want to let my mind dance around it, right? But yeah. um, when when you're looking at something and you're like, well, this guy's detail obsessed, 
so this all has like real meaning there, mm -hmm. on a previous podcast you guys were talking to a filmmaker and i really like the podcast a lot forgot the guy's name but he was talking about how um man's films tend not to show graphic violence you know they yes. tend to kind of dance around it you see the consequence of the violence itself and uh, uh I, he didn't bring up the the arm getting shot off by the sniper in Miami Vice. It was one of the goriest things you're going to oh. see in a Michael Mann film. And but it's also one of the most important things because it it shows you what that stuff does in the real world. Yeah. Like he, you know, like 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 I said in the previous podcast, like heat is a brilliant example of why you know automatic weapons in in normal metropolitan environments is no bueno. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And, for sure. It's not I, like video game. It's like this right. shit is loud. It's loud. This shit is violent. This shit is scary. Like there's yeah. something wrong about yeah. it, yeah. right? There's, it's, a, there's... it's a recurring question that got asked during the heat show. It was like a you know they're like there are subsections of the audience of heat that look at this and think it's cool as shit. And look, there is it's absolutely cool as shit as far as in the context of the movie. But I'm like, there's not a more terrifying gunfight. I can't watch totally. it at night in my house. The way that it's mixed. If you have a Blu-ray and it has a half-decent sound system, when that gets there, I reckon it goes up maybe four to five decibels and the mix just goes, it will blow your TV speakers away. Like if it's midnight and you're like, I've done that thing where I got trapped watching Heat again, I will wake up my kids and my neighbors as soon as that yeah. gunfight comes on. Because it's an overwhelming sensory experience to go, guns are loud and fucking scary and all those cops can't do anything. They're there with their six shooters falling all over each other trying not to die because these automatic weapons are chewing holes in in yeah. this it, it's it's scary it's actually violence that has a, a tangible physical reality well, that's, that's how i feel of... about oh the violence in scorsese movies yes mm. that it's real and it's gross and it's like like in goodfellas when he like stabs a guy in the trunk like right you're like this is what it would be like to stab a guy in a trunk it's not cool these are bad guys well, well yeah. scorsese like a lot of filmmakers of that era um may not claim it but they have a very close connection to horror yeah right? yeah absolutely and and horror shows up coppola has it. i mean dementia 13 still shows up in his work like you can see it like it's that little undercurrent of understanding horror and yeah. how to use it um you know and 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 vice you know, a, a, another like a large impression of the anti-genre for me is in most films that would be classified as action thrillers. And I think this would largely get classified as an action thriller in the brutalist version of genre creation. Mm -hmm. um, you're you're escalating towards climax, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, in, in the more like kind of hyperbolic version of it, like John Wick, John Wick is all about getting to the part where he shoots everybody, right? Like that's kind of why you're there. In, in Vice, the climax feels like a like a failure like things went wrong and so this is happening yeah and there's, right. there's little feeling of heroism in it it just feels like this is an unfortunate consequence of terrible choices that were made you know and we're not going to celebrate this euro gets shot we don't feel better you don't feel better about that he just turns people off like he's turned off now and for what right yeah and and now I we're back with these fucking bottom feeders now we're fighting off the, the aryan brotherhood we know right. that Euro is the middleman. He's not this big. We're not conquering Jose de, um, uh, Archangel Jesus de Montoya. We're not. We're not getting right. that guy. We're dealing with these guys who are his underlings, and they're going to kill us. And all we can do is try and mitigate it. Have some snipers and the freaking legendary. Actually, Barry Shabaka Hamley has a bit of agent vibes. Your best agent of like, no, 
if you go into that meeting, we need two snipers on the uh, as well. Yeah. And, you know, we need two snipers and I run it. I run it. Don't talk yet. I'll do the talking, you know, like he kind of gets it. But it's that thing of like, all it is is like death mitigation, that entire sequence. It's, it is funny because like it doesn't, like the, the emotional climax is the boat scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and like the hospital always, bed. And the hospital bed. And the bed. hospital bed, yeah. But like, the, I always kind of forget, not forget, but like, I'm always, I think the movie's like kind of going to end and then it does and like keeps going. Like, it's like, you think that the big shootout is going to be, it keeps leading you up to it and then denying it. Right. Like denying the genre, like you're saying, like it is anti-genre. It's like, supposed to happen. Like not, nobody wanted that to happen. Right? right. Like, like, like it's, it's a victory for Jose Euro that it's even taking place. Yes. Because he's a, a, you know, he is the creature of the basest things. And he has managed to drag all of these people into, into the basest parts of his character, you know, and he's the only one that genuinely joyous to be there because you can feel it in, in uh, John's performance that it's like, you know, this, what's wonderful about this is now everyone's as shitty as I am. Yeah, you know oh, you're gonna be as shitty now. as me. She might now, you know, like I'm, you know, like what, like I dragged everybody down into my shit with this and. Coaching like, local, right? Is it big? You don't want to know about. Um, so John's a friend of mine on Twitter, so shout out to John. Wait, oh my god, hook it up. We need John yeah, on our podcast. John's like <laughs> super. He's super chill and open. Like you could easily get John. I'll, I'll, I, I'll, 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 I'll reach out. But John Ortiz, honest. John Ortiz, in this movie. So forget, just forgetting about this movie for a second, he's fucking yeah. excellent in absolutely everything that he does. He's like yeah. just one of those chameleonic, legendary character actors. In this movie, it's such a joy because I know that he in real life, rest in peace, was friends with Philip Seymour Hoffman. And this is such a Philip Seymour, like they they feel like they're from the same wheelhouse because this feels like one of those early Philip Seymour Hoffman performances where he's not just relegated to being an amazing character actor where you're like, this motherfucker is it. Like he's now a foil. He's like bringing him through and it's like, I love looking at this performance because I'm like, after this, how does this guy not have a Philip Seymour Hoffman-esque arc? Right. Like where you start trusting him to carry a whole movie because he's the whole, he's the counterweight to the whole freaking movie and he yeah. absolutely rules. Oh, he's a, he's a, he's a brilliant actor. You know, um, you know, when anyone tells me that Miami Vice isn't a good film, I'm like, well, you're objectively wrong because it has both John Ortiz and John Hawks. So we can't do that. <laughs> like, that's there a you go. Like if you there got John you go. Ortiz and John Hawks in your movie, your movie's good. Yeah. Like, yes, you know. <laughs> I like this as a rule. I like this as a rule. <laughs> it's, it's it's absolutely solid, and everybody else is wrong. You know, I mean, it's 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 it's, it's totally that way. Yeah. You know, Hoffman. Yeah, Hoffman was great. I you know, Hoffman was terrifying in Mission Impossible. I didn't realize, like, I, I was like, I was watching Mission Impossible, and I'm like, I don't think Tom Cruise is gonna win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't care how fast Tom Cruise can run. I don't think he can win this time. Like, I was genuinely worried. I was like, I don't know, Ethan. You might, you might need, you know, you, you might, might need somebody a- else. Call you Pierce Brosnan and get him over there or something. Like, you might need something. I don't, I don't know. Um, no, oh, one thing you said before, which I did want to touch on, was about um, there's a line that actually Jerry Seinfeld said on his show, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, and he's talking to his old friend, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and he gave a marriage advice. But I think this is also just loving things advice in the world. He goes, I'll give you marriage advice 101. Your wife says you're wrong 
And your response is, I'm fine. And mm. and and I think I think about that with Miami Vice a lot of the time. People, I'm like, Miami Vice a masterpiece. And they go, you're wrong. And I go, I'm fine. Like, <laughs> that is as much as I'm willing to engage because if you're that off, I'm not uh, okay. Yeah, That's we can move, we can just move on. You're wrong, I'm fine. Marriage, and, 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 <laughs> I'm you fine. Know, and on a filmmaking level, it gets more interesting to me the more I view it because technology is what it is, right? Yes. So, like, you know, when I talk to like young filmmaker friends of mine who you know are 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 kind of navel gazing because they don't have the latest 8K, whatever, whatever. I'm like, bro, Miami Vice was shot like an iPhone 3. <laughs> yeah. Like, just just get out here and make it. Yeah. You right, know? and like embrace the format and the texture of it yeah. and like make oh, your you, technology like match your story that you want to tell. Yeah. I mean, look at like um, a great movie that came out last year. I mean, he is a Nepo baby, but... Um, Funny, what was, oh God, Owen Klein's movie, uh, Funny, Funny People, no. <laughs> I know the funny one Pages, funny, funny Pages. Funny Pages, yeah. I mean, he shot it on like eight millimeter film or 16 millimeter, but it's perfectly fits the story um, of what he's trying to tell and like the texture and the grime and the weirdness of the place. And like, it's just like, if you are working with an iPhone, like, do a Sean Baker, shoot it, shoot Tangerine, like make yeah. it work for the story that you want to tell and the the like the energy, the atmosphere that you want to evoke. Absolutely. Like, it, you know, it, it it's a, it's a stark reminder that. Uh, oh, OK, so just a 30 second aside. So the relationship between film and technology, I don't think it's analyzed enough. Right. It's something yes. that we need to audit, I think, on a regular basis, because yeah. our understanding of what a film is, is completely dependent on the technology of the time. Yeah. You know, from silent films to talkies, black and white to color and the rest of it, right? Uh, and so the art form is 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 tied to technology in an yeah, interesting absolutely. way that like books really aren't and and paintings aren't and 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 all that. And so, you know, you're looking at this thing and you're like, oh, well, wait a minute. I can get a I can get a better image right now on my iPhone in terms of just like fidelity. So there's really nothing stopping me from being able to capture this kind of power. Uh, I mean, there's storytelling, there's writing, there's, there's, you know, there's production design, art direction, all the other stuff, but like you can do it, you know? And so and that's why I think it's such an invigorating film because I always, you know, I don't, I've seen it countless times, right? And, and every time I watch it, uh, and sometimes I'll just put it on just for the vibe, I, I leave that viewing feeling more empowered creatively, you know, like, amazing. I can, oh, I can, I can do this. I can task this, you know, I can, I can put a messy scene down and come back and kind of rejigger it, you know, and it doesn't have to always kind of like fit into a neat little box and I can, you know, and we, and we can, we can have these different sojourns and uh, that's why I think it's just such a, like a remarkable gift to, uh, uh, to, to film writ large, but especially films that are about, you know, kind of, action and 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 all of that and action thriller and 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 and, and, and heat i think is a superior film in terms of its construction and all of that and, and sure but i think there's a it's almost like you're getting like da vinci's workbook with my yeah Mouse, you know yeah but it's you're but like, it's Ooh. you're you're talking exactly about the mediums it's like in the 35 you have to be more orchestrated and you have mm -hmm. to be less impulsive and verite you know you were talking mm -hmm. about the italian neorealism it's like you have you can't be in as many open locations and when you are there are other factors that you have to deal with to figure it out but like um you know when you were saying about the 
make the film and use the technology. This is a theme that Katie's really brought up on the show. And I just love it when we get to talk about it because it's like Miami Vice is unashamedly a digital film. It is like, it, it is not trying to use digital technology to enable them to make a cheaper version of an actual film. It's going, no, I'm making a digital film. Yeah. And that means that I can see a depth of field and different colors and weird like tones and notes and hues of the city that you can't capture on film unless you muck around with or you play around with lights or whatever. You cannot catch it on 35. You can't. 16 mil, forget it. It's not happening. Maybe on a 70, maybe. Planted lights, tweaked, color corrected, maybe. But I can go onto a rooftop and and it looks like this undulating, bursting storm cloud of purple with this yellow, strange Mm -hmm. haze that is coming off of all of the city street lights. And there's all this beautiful, almost like organic, like spectrum of colors that go between. And then I've got this like awesome, like looking guy with a blonde mullet and a freaking gray suit on a roof. It's like the technology is, that's the thing I love about Michael Mann. He's like, he's unabashedly making a digital film. And he's not trying to, to cheat people. It's not, it's like, this is what it is. And that's the same with like a tangerine. And like, the, the the benefit you that you get is that I can put a small digital camera on the back of a um, a Ute a utility vehicle and smash through doors, right. um, and 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 I can be with the camera in that moment, and it's great and it's fantastic and it's you know uh, visceral. But you know they that's that's what I love about my movie. It's like no, it actually is beautiful. And when people are like, oh, it's ugly. I always oh my god those people uh, are have to have their eyes replaced I'm just like are you kidding me are you kidding me well it's 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 you know kind of uh engaging what what you're saying Blake one of the things I love about filmmakers when I when I love their work is when they can get me to see what I see every day differently yeah and and there's a you know you look like a Karen Kusama film there's a hypnagogic quality to it right like those films take place on Kusama earth Man's yeah, destroy, destroy man the invitation. Like, right. my God, two right? completely like, different visual yeah, impressions of the same like city. They're, they're taking you into their dimension, like Scorsese Earth. Yes. It's just yeah. a different Earth, you know, and, and living in L.A. has only deeply increased my love of man's work because I'm like, oh, I never looked at Koreatown like that, you know, yeah. or, or I never looked at coastlines like that. And, and it's that hypnagogic feel, you know, and Vice, Vice feels like you watched a straightforward version of this when you were drunk. <laughs> yes. And this is the way you remember it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I, re- I, rem- I remember, and then, and then she, she came out of the limousine and said, like, yes. well, whatever he says, do not do it. And you were like, yeah, that was it. I think that happened. And, and you're just... And it's great, you know, it, and and it, it kind of hits you um, on that, like in a hypnagogic level, right? It, it's it's film is music, um, which which really appeals uh, to me, uh, and that's a rare thing. And 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 you know, you look at like '06, like that's when things started to get super standardized. You know, like we we sort of lost. I don't want to say it's a vanity project with a negative connotation, but I mean, that's when. You know, studios were starting to belt tighten a little bit, and you know, the the filmmaker that would get too much money to do a thing in a weird way that started to slow down more and more. And now we rarely get that. You know, yeah. we, we we rarely see that. Um, and to be able to watch a filmmaker who you know uh, 
created this 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 world with 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 peers on television worked through it was obviously constrained by the four three was obviously constrained by commercial breaks and budget and time and the rest of it and to see like what they what they do when they go back you know to that with everything that they need to kind of do what they want to do it's it's incredibly fascinating and empowering i think in an, in an, in an artistic way um uh and you know to see you know like again like going you can see the godard in it yes yeah you know you can see the Truffaut in yeah. it, right like all that afi stuff that he did still shows up when he's doing like you know tnt films for men you know like whatever, <laughs> you know, you know, like whatever that nonsense is they do right like, yeah. yeah but it's also you know um it's also french impressionism and like really? you know uh what's that word God, I have it's like a film school word. It's not coming to me. Anyway, keep yeah, going. Of, I'll figure it out. Most of my film school words don't don't come to me. Uh, so that is <laughs> uh, that is that is a malady that I also share. But but yeah, I think that what's really beautiful about it is it is a film that is about the pursuit of those of those like kind of that inner desire to have those experiences for the sake of them even though you know you know it, it it may not quote unquote turn out you know it's it 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 says to you chase it chase yeah. it don't chase it for forever chase it for now you know because it might uh, not be right for forever but who cares right. about forever we're in now you're in and the now. whole the whole movie is saying we're here right now <laughs> like it's like we're yeah, in right. the club and you you we're may on not a boat. be able you, you may not be able to love someone more than when you know you you cannot love them forever. Yes. You know, when you know there is sand in the hourglass on this, you have this beach walk, you have this 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 dance in the club, you know, you ha you have this night. And it's it's it you know, it speaks to those moments when the the inherent sort of temporary, you know, nature of what it is removes all pretense and so you're crying while you're making love right because yeah. you're that tapped into it you know it's it's it, i'd be it's crying so if i was making love to gong lay too i mean let's <laughs> well, tell me about be, it <laughs> tell me about it i'd be crying well, if i was it. making love to 2006 colin farrell so. <laughs> uh, you know. handlebar mustache uh okay so the word that i was thinking of is photogenie do you know yeah. Photogenie oh, yeah. from early silent French Jean sure. Epstein? It's like the je ne sais quoi. It's like the, the expressiveness of cinema, the mm -hmm. poetry of images and sound and cinema and, and time coming together. And like, this is an action movie from friggin' 2006 that has Photogenie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that's what I think is so beautiful about it. And that's, and and I, I love that you guys are talking about like the how it it's it's an exercise in being present as well because it's you know it's all about time and being in the moment and sort of forcing you to to stay in this moment whatever is happening when the camera sort of drifts or it's like we're in an emotional scene um, yeah I just I just love what, how how you talk about this movie and I also really relate to you very deeply on this dichotomy of loving genre loving action films and horror and whatever and then also being like yeah i'll fuck with like some crazy french art house movies or like european like bleak ass russian movies i totally <laughs> sure. get down with those and like 
just being like, I contain multitudes and like things can, um, you know, there, there can be two things that are true at once or many things that are true at once and many things that you can contain in one person. But also it's like this film is such a um, special example of, of containing multitudes, right? Well, of containing absolutely. all of those things at once. Absolutely, Katie. Like I am a, a big proponent of having a syncretic artistic mind. You know, uh, I I like working with things that are seemingly in opposition and finding where the common denominators are. I think that's where innovation comes in. That's where your voice comes in. You yeah, know, we, you, you tinker with, well, I, I didn't know so much about the music, but knowing you for a little bit, filmmaking, writing, but you're also a really fucking good photographer, Brian. Like, well, thank you. <laughs> you know, like he takes great photos and now learning that you tinker with music as well. It's just like, it just feels like these are the, these are these little tendrils, these little parts of yourself that you're like, how do I bring, how do I know some of this stuff and bring it into how I'm going to do it? And just thinking about storytelling and all of these different media, whether well, it's I like think, you're telling yeah. a story and just a still a great black and white still, you know, that's, well, that's something. No not to get like too like you know weird and granola about it but you know we want to get weird and granola because <laughs> I, I, anyone anyone who's listening to this is either a creator or deeply interested in creators um and so you know what i would say is understand your nature as an artist while you're working on your individual tasks and understand what drives you uh, from an emotional level, from a thematic level, right? Whether you're, you know, you're you're writing a story, you're making a film, you're cooking a meal, you're making love, like whatever it is, like find that that inner truth that's there. Like what is it uh, uh, that 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 moves you? Because you can apply that to multiple forms. You know, I mean, that's 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 where you become like the polymath, right? Which I yeah. think is kind of a misnomer. I think. You know, it, it, it's just, you know, a polymath is described as someone who's very good at these individual things. I don't think that's true. I think a polymath is someone who's very good at knowing who they are and they <laughs> yeah. manifest who they are in different tasks. Yeah. You know? mm. And so all of it is the music is Brian Hill, the cooking is Brian Hill, the thing, you know, you know what I mean? It's just me, right? It, it's your authenticity. And, and again, it goes back to like the, the central man theme of like nearly all of his works. Like, uh, how do you maintain your authenticity in a world that seeks to destroy it? Right? Yes. And that's really the question, you know? And, and if you look at Vice, um, another thing about it is I think it's the, it's the beginning of what I call man's romantic period. Yeah. Mm. Where he genuinely embraces romance. And, you know, it, it, small thematics here and there previously, but if you look at like heat, right? Like and for and form and sub form and subject, right? On yours, like you were talking um, before, you know, heat has the romance, obviously, but yeah. it's like last of the Mohicans. It's like the form, the period, the time, everything about that bespeaks romance. So people can, I feel like people are easier for them to translate the romance through that. But when you're talking about like his later digital forms and stuff like that, he's like, no, right. this is like our romance. This is well, our I think, romance. I think, I think Mohicans is sort of like because it's kind of a cover song, right? Yes. It's 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 sort of like, well, I'm gonna play Zeppelin and then I, I'm kind of understanding how I would go about it, right? So because yeah. it was laid in already into the Finmore Cooper in its own way, you know, it's sort of like I can kind of approach it and do that thing. Same thing in the Keep in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. Um, but I look at like, you know, I look at Heat where, you know, Heat kind of grieves the idea of romance, you know? And like, mm. like Edie and Neil 
is doomed and yeah, and so are Isabella and Sonny, but the difference is Edie and Neil is doomed in a way where you like don't enjoy the doom of it. No. You know, you're just like, this is not only is this a bad she idea, doesn't have no she future. doesn't have any she doesn't have any idea what the fuck right. is going on. It's different. It's different. But it's... Sonny and Sonny and Isabella, she knows They're it's equals. a bad idea. He knows they it's a bad equals. idea. Yeah. And 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 really Isabella is is like, you know, one of the few times, maybe even the first time that you have a female character in a man's story. Um, I guess Mohicans, but again, those Fillmore Cooper's running on top of it. In an original man's story that doesn't act as a barrier to the man's growth, right? Like, the, the, if, if, if I have a criticism um, of kind of man's ovra, it's that I think oftentimes the female characters stand in the way of what the man needs to accomplish, right? There's still that little bit of classic Western in there. Yes. There's still that that little bit of John Ford, you know, where in order for me to become what I need to be, I need to leave you at the house and I need to go and fight the engines, you know. Um, and a good could be a good a good balance is Kim Grace as Molly Graham when she's yes. talking to Dennis Farina's Jack Crawford. She's like, "Don't you fuck right. him up, Jack!" Like, right. to like she's like, "He's actually fixed now, you know. Right. <laughs> he's he's, he's and, yeah. You're it, gonna." Don't fuck him up, Jack. And I love, and the, she's so underrated in that regard because I'm yeah, like, and, don't you fuck and, him up, Jack. And I don't, you know, and and I don't, I don't think it's anywhere near misogyny or chauvinism or anything like that. I just think it's sort of like the way the stories kind of get told, and you know, and then Kim Bree's character. We're, we're we're working on top of Thomas Harris, right? So we have yeah. to also include that, right? Yeah. So Molly is, you know, kind of there, but but you know, Isabella really is her own person. Yeah. In this film, and and if you look at like the the later films you see a you see more of an embrace of kind of romance you know like there's a sweetness in collateral mm, that yeah. wasn't really there in his work before in that way you that know? jada that jada max you know that that jada max relationship jada and jamie fox that is just electric yeah, like 10 minutes like, and you feel you feel like <gasps> Like it's just so joyful, and you're like, "Oh, this is like chemistry happening right before oh, our eyes." Yeah. But by, by the way, Stuart Beatty is a good friend of mine. If you, oh uh, no, we we, like we we did speak to him on about Collateral, and he did confirm that Vincent's name is for Vincent the internet collateral. is Vincent Collateral, as some <laughs> stupid people on the internet have said. He he, he was nice. funny enough to claim that, um, but no, he actually said no, that's not his name. He said, but Vincent. We you, you don't even know Vincent's surname. It's something different totally. than that. So he knows what his, that is. His name's not even Vincent. His name's not even Vincent. It's the <laughs> best Stuart, one. Oh. Stuart's a great guy. He's a good friend of mine. Um, but I was going to say also, yeah. I mean, like Trudy and Tubbs are equals as Absolutely. well. And like, I really like them as a counterbalance to the Sunny Isabella whirlwind romance, like doomed, uh, but going to do it. And like, they're you know, equals in this and they know what's going on and they, they're, you know, but then Trudy and Tubbs, that's like the sweet domestic, like they're not doomed. They're going to move forward. They're right. working together. He's trying to save her. He's trying to keep her safe. And like that little, you know, that, that I think is such a sweet romantic love story because it's like the normal, not crazy love story. It's like the, the domestic life, which I feel like that's probably what man has because he's been married for so long. Right. And, and and absolutely, Katie. And I think that's one of the things that is the most undervalued, I think, about Miami Vice, right? I yeah. Mean, there's, a, there's a lot of words thrown at, well, you know, Fox had these Oscar things and, and then like, why is Crockett, you know, in front of him and the poster and the tension between Colin Farrell and the rest of it? And that's all fine. But 
um, you know, when I look at the film, you'd be hard pressed to find a another like kind of you know mainline Hollywood depiction of a black relationship that feels as warm and genuine and as authentic as that. Yeah, and it's you know? like authentic and funny and yeah. um, really like filled with a lot of like stakes and heart and like they really care for each other and they're equals, they're coworkers. Like there's, just, I love that relationship. It's, it's excellently done. And then when you get into the marrow of how some of the scenes are executed, you know, it's it's denying like the kind of the gravitational force of the scene to go where these scenes normally go. So a scene where Tubbs is reassuring Trudy turns into a scene where Trudy is reminding Tubbs of what he has to do. Yeah, right? she's yeah. she she's she's like, and and she's also. I just love the hint of doom. I, th I think because Trudy's just such a sage, and I love her mm -hmm. because she's like, you are doomed if you keep thinking about me. Yeah, yeah. You're right. going to be if you keep distracting and trying to keep me in this box and not make me your equal and a partner in this, I am going to be doomed. And it's that self-fulfilling prophecy of like, where are your eyes? And is he right? Yes. But is she right? Yes. And it's this great thing of like, this is, you know, it's the Hyman Roth. This is the business we've chosen, chosen. you know, like it's yeah, yeah. like totally that it's like, this is the business. Okay. And, and, um, I, Katie and I, uh, Brian made a Miami nice cut of Miami Vice, which is a fusion of the directors and theatrical cuts. It is sitting in your inbox, in your DMs right now for you to watch. Wonderful. Um, so it's there for you to enjoy. But that was part of the thing when we made our cut was restoring, especially the salutations from your friends in the South and the follow-up diner moment between Trudy and Tubbs, because that, relationship feels so much more fulfilled and rewarding in that director's cut because you get these extra scenes that maybe like that would just for momentum's sake they're trying to get rid of them but i don't think it loses anything in fact i think it gains everything for all the other scenes and the well, way that it, informs it gains it. all of the like it, it, it i think it in a sense it adds emotional momentum to the pizza scene the in the trailer park and like mm -hmm. all of that like it's like you are way more locked in with the tubs of it all, um, you know, as, as we move into the climax, you know, of craziness, violence well, and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, in my most pretentious time, um, I was working on like a, a, a small, like kind of essay book and it was called man and women. <laughs> and it was Love all it. about women in Michael Mann films, you know, and I cool. didn't know what I was going to do. I wrote like a hundred pages of this thing and then I just stopped because I was like, wants to deal with this there's a but, website um, called one heat minute.com that would love some of those essays i have to research it up but one of the things i was <laughs> highlighting is like again i don't know a lot about man's personal life but i feel like he he is a guy that has had really um powerful and effective uh affecting relationships with women you know in various ways right and, and i think part of why I identify with this work is I was raised by a single mother. My father died when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So my mother kind of had to step into the role of both mother and father as I was growing up. And it sort of framed a lot of me in my formative years. And there's something that man understands uh, about in a, in a difficult time, what, what men, what men like to hear from the women in their lives, you yeah. know, 
and when I and when when Tubbs is talking to Trudy, like that's what he needs to hear. Mm. Yeah. He doesn't need to hear I feel like I'm okay. I know you're I know you'll protect me. That's not what he needs to hear. No. He needs to hear I am giving you permission and instruction to do what you need to do. And I am okay. But you need to do that. And it's a small thing, but as a person that lives a higher risk life in a lot of ways. And being like a screenwriter, filmmaker, working in Hollywood, you're living a higher risk life. I mean, you literally are going to have meetings that are are half a million dollars, you know, yeah. three quarters of a million dollars, right? If the meeting goes well, if you say the right. right things in the right order, you're talking about 15 minutes of your time might result in a small fortune if you're lucky. Yeah. You know? Right. And also that like it's feast or famine, like and it's feast or famine. <laughs> you, yeah. you might not work for a long time. <laughs> right. You, you know, know, it's, it's yeah. hot and cold and you got to balance yeah. your thing out. And so you're living, you know, you're you're kind of living in this high risk mode. And in our interpersonal relationships, there are just things that are really uh, um, uh, empowering to kind of hear from the people that we love. And he understands how to craft those moments in a way that makes immediate sense. You know, and I think that's why uh, a, a lot of dudes um you know they 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 won't talk about it but they love the romance in the movie as much as uh, as anyone else does because you know we we want our isabella on the beach you know like we we want that right like we want we, we want would throw moments. it all away for a we boat would, ride with gong lee we would no, throw but, it but, all but away but you, you also know? want your trudy you like, want your trudy. In, like yeah. squeezing your hand in the hospital bed like mm -hmm. that's the stability and like you also want her like the your queen being like yes right. go do your thing but like it's like it combines i feel like it combines all of these fantasies of of romance yeah and it's and and that's like you know what because of the fable quality of it um you know and i and i think fables you know whether they're contemporary or they're or they're ancient kind of exist to help illustrate the lives we're living and the choices we're making and the potential effect of those choices you know and yeah. when when something does live in that fable like space snapshot 2006 snapshot crime thriller snapshot cocaine cowboy whatever it is um you know you're kind of able to read it in that way and it's a fairy tale you know yeah. in a lot of ways it's a grim fairy tale like the like the classic fairy tales used to be uh um and as much as man gets credit for being you know a creature of verisimilitude uh and detail and research and the rest of it you know that exists certainly but in execution that kind of translates into these hypnagogic fairy tale narrative experiences that help illuminate um, our past, our present, and 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 how choices of the present could affect our future, um, yeah. and and that's that's why I find so incredibly kind of powerful uh, about that work. Um, you know, uh, clarifying too. Yeah. Well, I could listen to you talk about this movie for hours. Like it's just well, we live in LA, so and good. there's plenty of places. <laughs> plenty of places serve food. Yes. Oh my God. Let's do so, it. We need to know? have. I need to host a. Uh, Miami Nice Meetup in LA. With you absolutely all should. We should do that. Yeah, absolutely yeah. do. We should yeah. absolutely do a meetup and like get a bunch of heads together and just yeah. be get, like, Travis play, and get Travis. Yeah, play yeah. Numb Encore on a loop. Yeah. <laughs> You've, yes. You're walking into a, a hallway and it's just numb encore and it's just those silhouettes of people dancing as you walk into the meetup. That's oh, what you've got to yeah. do. But oh, I'm, oh, oh, we're planning this. Listen, what, what, what I would say is 
number one, we have to have you back at some point, Brian. This has been so much fun. You, This is absolutely sensational. I love, I knew that this would be fire, but you really shot through the stratosphere for me um, in this chat because you're so insightful about it. Your mind, I love the way that your mind works. It's just totally a treat to talk to you about this movie because um, you know, you're like, you're a ride or die from the beginning and you got it. And I just love that you were so uncompromising with you. Like, oh, everyone's wrong. And I love that so much. I'm I fine. Love, I love, yeah, you're wrong. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> and so we are all collectively fine, man. It's just a brilliant, uh, a brilliant time talking to you. Is there anything that you want to plug or point people to? We'll obviously link off to your website and your Twitter and stuff like that. But is there anything just as the last minute that you want to plug while we've got you? Uh, briefly, um, the the second half of the final season of Titans, uh, a show that I write on, Ooh. will be premiering at HBO Max in, uh, I don't know when this is going to come out, so um, March 2023, 2023 at some time. Um, I got some cool screenwriting announcements I can't really talk about, like a directorial announcement I can't really talk about, um, and I'm doing some cool comic book things I can't really talk about. So everyone listening... <laughs> so follow if, that Twitter. Follow yeah, if you find Twitter. me interesting, follow me at at Brian Edward Hill, why, why, this is how I spell it, B-R-Y-A, and at Brian Edward Hill, why, because we like you. Uh, and <laughs> you can follow me there. Uh, and, you know, I, I tend to uh, do Twitter and spurts and, and all that, but if you catch me on a wave, you know, I'll be be running it down. Well, um, uh, <laughs> follow the next wave, because he's about to watch the Miami Nice Cup. Brian, you rule, we're definitely having you back. You'll, we'll find another, I mean, we could probably talk for five hours, but we'll find another good hour on Miami Vice, and then we'll, you know, we'll maybe come back for a little collateral confession. We'll maybe talk to you a little bit about some Absol collateral. Absolutely, I and have the, thoughts, Blake, I the, have the, co the collateral meetup is just one of those really long stretch hummers through LA that's driven oh, no, by that, Jamie Foxx. The Fox. collateral meetup is on me, <laughs> and it's gonna be Korean barbecue at a long table, like five five fire pits going, yeah. and endless beer and soju. Yes. So I'm you there. just let me know when, when and, you and, want and, that to happen, and, and, and that will happen. Stuart, Stuart, Beatty, Stuart Beatty in there actually telling us Vincent's real name. You rock, yep. you're the best, this has been sensational and uh, uh, I mean I, I know people are going to enjoy it so we have to have you back we'll talk to you soon thank you so much for having me Vice, choose linen, choose mojitos, choose hot calling and pissed off Jamie Foxx, choose an improvised Jackson Pollock on the wall and choose to be a fucking disco guy if you want, choose sophisticated counter intel and AWACS and ships impersonating buildings, choose the bad shit with the crazy whites at the trailer park, choose to shine me off even if you don't have the skill, choose a go fast boat and the buyer changes the location at the last minute, choose to let her go with a guy named Frank, I chose none of that. I chose to live, I chose something else, I chose which way is up and I didn't give a fuck which way it was, I chose Gong fucking Lee and I know that it's a bad idea and it has no future. 
because I chose luck. Because time is luck. And what else would you choose? You know, and it feels like such a 20th century movie. It feels like something David Lean would have done or tried to do uh, when he still had that kind of currency. And even then, he might not have succeeded. It's incredible because, like, if you if you don't have time to watch all five seasons of Lost, you can just watch Fearless. <laughs> Not a week goes by that I don't think of the ending of Gallipoli. It's left a mark. A uh, year of living dangerously, uh, you know, and then something like Last Wave, even that's so uh, deeply embedded with the land and the story of the land, the story of place. You know, I don't know that I'd seen very many movies at that point in my life that had such a down ending and they had such a you know sort of strong sense of folklore uh, 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 attached to it as that and something always so poetic and lyrical about Peter Weir's work. Gallipoli was the first movie that ever traumatized me and I don't think I ever really recovered from it <laughs> and I'm still upset that they played it in school. Like I don't think it's actually possible to make an they say it's not possible to make an anti-war movie but I think Peter Weir pulled it off. Because yes. no one watches that movie then thinks, I want to go to war. Uh, Peter Weir is the greatest director that Australia has ever produced. Like, bar none, hands down. Like, no yeah. one else is even in the room. I think you have covered some really titanic filmmakers and some really titanic films so far. But I, I truly think what makes Peter Weir special and what makes you doing this one special is we don't talk about Peter Weir that way. And we should. Peter Weir is one of those guys who I don't get why he isn't a bigger name why he isn't more in that rarefied air yes. because i think film for film he's one of our very best filmmakers he has brought his a game repeatedly to <laughs> many properties there are films of his that i hold very dear fearless uh you know uh, the mosquito coast i will fight somebody if they talk bad about the mosquito coast it's man i love that movie but in general i just think he is a special filmmaker, a smart, lyrical, um, hallucinatory filmmaker. He's a very dreamy filmmaker, and I don't think he gets his due. You know, Master Commander is one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, you know, easily one of the best movies of the last 20 years. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's a grand scale. There's a historical backdrop to it, but at the same time, there's such an intimacy in the relationships. Uh, which I think is not just a great film and one of the last great epics in the truest sense. Um, I, I think is actually kind of a sliding doors change point moment in, in cinema history. I think 2003 when that comes along and it is a an old fashioned, you know, we don't make them like that anymore type film. I think if Master and Commander spawns a franchise at that point, the entire cinema landscape globally is completely different. That That's the movie that I wanted to see 10 of those, you know. Uh, and, yeah, I know they're big fans of Fast and Furious and everything, and God bless you, but Master and Commander <laughs> should have been. It's one of those things, again, I I am not, uh, I'm not a seafaring man, sir. <laughs> but there is a sense of authenticity. There's a sense of really watching a, a genuine dedication to recreating history unfold on a big screen in front of you that can't help but inspire just genuine admiration and awe. If you're going to pick a film where he really brings every one of his skills to the table, it's Master and Commander. I think you picked the right one, man. Yeah, very excited to see what you you pull, 
you pull out of this, Blake. That's right. Our next series is Peter Weir and Russell Crowe's Master and Commander. The series is called Podcaster and Commander. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.